0: Morning. Um, Just so you know, uh, we do have, and and this is, I guess, maybe more for you to share with others. Um, We have two great rooms set up. The sound is great, Uh, the picture is great, live video feed of what's happening in here. Um, And our We our vision for this is actually use it for more than just this moment. Um, From, if you want to call it a cry room or for a a mother's room, if you will, to be able to sneak away to if if infants are are in need of some food, shall we say, or something like that. But for now, um, we have uh, it set up for anybody that you know that might be a little nervous to get out in public and things. Um, They won't have to come in through the main doors, they can come in a side entrance and just um, be back there, but still be a part of a community of God worshiping. So, uh, so far, it seems to be working okay, it's not perfect yet, it probably never will be, but um, we're going to do the best we can with it um, and and keep working at it. And hopefully, those of you that haven't been in here in about three months uh, have noticed maybe there's a few changes in this room as well. Obviously we've redone the chairs a little bit just to create some more space and and things like that for everyone. Um, But uh, there's some new additions to the room as well. And so hopefully some of you have picked up on some of those. Uh, We're excited to get those done um, and ready for you. One big addition that you won't get to see Um, unless you've never accepted Christ yet. We hope that you do very, very soon. You're going to get that opportunity every time you come into this building, but you could do it any other day of the week too. Uh, The thing behind me uh, has just been refinished completely, Uh, totally redone, the fiberglass redone, um, and it looks beautiful. And so as soon as we get that glass, yeah, as soon as we get that glass piece caulked in, so anybody really experienced in the caulking world, if you'd like to do that this week, um, then we're going to refill it and uh, there will be no more floating objects in there, no more probably lead-based paint uh, hanging out in there, and whatever else they used over the last 40 years to, to maintain that. Uh, it looks wonderful. And so uh, super, super excited to get that uh, done and, and ready to go, and I, I just pray that the Lord fills that in the months and days and years and weeks and whatever, how, whoever, however uh, comes our way. So just some information for you about some things that are happening. Um, we have missed all of you. We really have. Uh, if Some of you, I'm sure, are like me. You kind of grew up in the church. And so you just kind of always went to church. Um, but for me, it's more than just about going to church. I truly, genuinely love going to church. And on those weeks or months or, or whatever, things happen and you can't get to church for one reason or another. I know some of you have experienced illnesses and things like that. And you, you couldn't go. Like something's missing. Something's just not right. Like your weeks just don't flow the same. It, it's just a weird sensation. Just, it, it doesn't seem quite right. And that's exactly the way these last three months have been for us something's been missing now i've loved the way that we've got to gather online that that technology i know depending on your age i'm sure but for me growing up we did not have computers when i was a young child that was this futuristic thing i remember watching tv shows with these crazy futuristic green screen ugly looking computers like wow that's so cool that technology so neat it wasn't until i was even in college that the internet was actually invented while i was in college that's when it first became widespread and all of a sudden now, since then, in these last few years, things have just blown up. And so the technology that we're using is amazing, is it not? I mean, it, it's incredible what you can do and how easy it is. Anyone can figure out how to do some of these incredibly sophisticated processes. And it's just, it just blows me away that we're able to do it. But it's not quite the same. It's not quite what we were designed for. I find it interesting that the very first summer I was here, the summer of 2018 in July, God literally directed me to come here and say we have to establish genuine community here we got to fall in love with jesus first and foremost and we got to fall in love with each other as brothers and sisters in christ we've got to create that kind of atmosphere because when you do that other people will be drawn in because they want to experience they want to feel that genuine love of christ i think it's very interesting that god designed his creation his humanity us to be in community first with him and then with each other, and both are essential to our existence here on this earth. It is how we are wired as human beings. We are to love God, and we are to love others. Neither of these can we do very well when we're in complete isolation like so many of us have been. We crave connection. It's why we humans have invented things like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else that's out there on the internet, and to an extent those things do serve a purpose in our lives they actually can be beneficial there's been research done that says if you limit yourself to no more than 30 minutes a day on social media no more than 30 minutes a day of that form of communication is actually helpful you get just enough in your system to encourage you to see what's going on to just kind of be happy if you will about those things that are happening but beyond that becomes detrimental That's plenty of time to check in, see what everybody's doing, and and post an update on yourself. But beyond that, it actually does become harmful. We won't get into the neurochemistry of everything because no one cares. But the reality is this. The reality is this. When you are around other people, when you have contact with other people, there are literal chemicals in your body released that make you happier. Your body thrives on this. Now, I know there's introverts and people that just don't like people and all that kind of stuff. We'll just, whatever. Okay, but I promise you, God created you to be in interaction with other people. After 30 minutes in social media, that initial reaction that your body gives of just being able to interact with people goes away, and it's beginning to be replaced by actual feelings of jealousy and envy and even depression and things like that in some people. So it provides a great moment, but it is an artificial moment. It's a fake connection. It's really interesting that when we are genuinely connected with other people we are more content. We are happier. There's more joy in our life. There is no substitution for this God-given reaction. And on 30 minutes a day for social media, that's enough for a little bit, but you need the person-to-person contact. God created people to be together. And in the midst of this pandemic, if you haven't paid attention to the news, one of the greatest fears is that when people do finally get back out and about after being quarantined or isolated for two or three months, one of their greatest fears is that our immune systems will be depressed. They won't, be as, they won't function as well because we haven't been in contact with other diseases and things like that, so we're going to be at an even higher risk of other diseases attacking us. Think of it this way. God created you not just emotionally and socially to be in contact with other people. He wired your physical body together. So that it functions best and it defends itself better when you are around other people. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think that's an accident that God put us together that way? Literally, we grow stronger physically when we're around other people. It's a miracle. That's what we're supposed to do. We're created to be together. And here we are. Again, getting to do just that. Praise God, right? My wife spoke to me just a moment. By the way, that was beautiful. Thank you for interacting. I really appreciate that. My wife spoke just a minute ago and said, wow, it is so great to hear the voices again. Yeah, man, it is, it is. Can we all be united around Christ? Can we all be united around his vision for his church? Can we move forward and make every decision from here on out based on what God's will for us is? How can we seek and save the lost better? As a church, how can we reach out to more people? How can we grow more mature in the faith in our personal walk? How can you and I better offer our lives up to Him for Him to use us according to His will? Can we move forward? Can we leave behind obstacles maybe that have been in our way in the past and build that relationship with Jesus even closer? This is a great time for change in our lives. And as we talked about last week, being the day of Pentecost, that we remembered, it's a great time to refocus and kind of retool and repurpose the direction of the church as well. Will we commit to pursuing that? Will we allow the things of this world that, to work their way right back into our daily lives and our daily schedules, or are we going to keep them on the outside so we can focus on what's most important? Now, I'm going to share with you a, a thought that I had, and, and I honestly, I've read and listened to a lot of things. And I haven't heard anybody else express it quite like this, and I really, really, really want you to think deeply about what I'm about to say. It's not meant to be controversial at all. It's very intentional, but I want you to think about what I'm going to ask you here. One of the things I found very interesting during this time was the way in which nearly everyone responded. Now there's a lot of people out there as time you know, goes on that are going to say this was a very negative thing. I'm not commenting on that one way or another. That is not the purpose in what I'm saying. At the drop of a hat, nearly everyone canceled everything so we could shelter in place. We willingly, notice I did not say joyfully, <laughs> we willingly gave up everything. Every element of our schedule, every element of our normal daily lives, even some of our very own freedoms. At the drop, of a hat. Now, there's lots of reasons why people might have done this. They might have done it out of fear. Understand. Might have done it out of precaution. Might have done it to protect others. Lots of potential reasons. Whatever reason, that's not important, we did it, didn't we? So what does that tell you? What does that tell you? I'm going to come at it from a perspective of faith. And as a person of faith, here's what I would like to share with you. Number one, all of a sudden we realize that the things of this world aren't really all that important, are they? We just laid them all down at the drop of a hat. In fact, if we truly believe that something out there is better, it's for the overriding good of whoever, then seemingly almost all of America is willing to sacrifice nearly everything for that good, are they not? Interesting. Religious people and non-religious people alike dropped everything out of precaution, everyone. Well, here's the thing. It just so happens that I and many of you know the greatest good to ever come to mankind, don't we? And I know that it can often take tremendous personal sacrifice for that good to be made real in your life. And it may be an even greater sacrifice in your life to share that good With others, here's the thing, we're called to die to self for the sake of Christ. Church, we all, every one of us, just died to self for the sake of an unknown virus. I want you to consider that. You literally left everything behind for an unknown virus. Yet how many in the church are willing to leave everything for the Christ who came and died for them? Almost no one almost no one here's the thing protecting your health protecting your loved ones whatever reason you left all that behind that is a noble cause and there's nothing i repeat nothing wrong with that i am just making the case that we got a glimpse in our lives as believers in christ as to what it looks like to leave our life behind for the sake of a virus And I challenge you to think about this in the light of that is what it should look like to leave your life behind for Christ. Think of all the obstacles in your way to keep you from serving Jesus, from loving others, from doing the things you know you should do, which we'll talk about today from James. And you just did it all for the sake of a virus. Will you now do it for the sake of Christ? Will we lay those things down at the feet of Jesus as he asks us to do when we come to him? I pray, church, that we are. I truly do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. As we dive into your word, I I pray that we are genuinely challenged by this thought, by this idea, by this reality that we willingly just set everything aside, our schedules, all those things, those excuses that we have, that we give you all the time. The reason we can't be at church, the reason we can't go here and do that or serve here or go and serve and love and whatever, give, whatever it is, every excuse we've ever given you, Father, we just laid it aside because we were told to stay at home. And now here we are confronted with that reality and going, Jesus, that's what you need from me, isn't it? Will I respond? Will I respond in that way? Father, you didn't come to take our joy from us. You came to bring us life, to bring us joy. You didn't come to take everything in this world away from us. That was never, ever your purpose. You came so that we could use the things in our lives to, to show other people your love. Father, to be a witness to all of those that we come in contact with. And I pray that we are, there are lessons to be learned as a result of these last few months. And I pray as believers, maybe this is the greatest one. What are we willing to give up for you in the sake of Christ? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So glad. That McKenna was able to be back with us this week. I'm so sad for her family, but again, uh, it was inevitable, and they are at peace, and they are excited for Norman and where he is today. And so, uh, kids, it is great to have you in here. Uh, hopefully, I can be loud enough to, uh, to uh, just every once in a while capture your attention as well. I, I try not to, to use the same tone of voice all the time. I had a teacher in high school. I'm sure I'll talk about <clears throat> Mr. Moser at some point in time. Um, but oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I just can't even describe to you how... Oh, wow, I just can't. Um, Anyway, um, super nice man, but uh, anyway, um, just before Easter, just before Easter, I know, we were all at home then, I began asking literally, God, where on earth should we go next? What should we do next? I asked some other people. I just began praying about it and flipping through the scriptures going, God, what should we do? And we landed on James. And considering all other things that have been in place, there has been nothing that we could have studied that would have been better for us to help us grow in our faith, to help us learn what a genuine faith looks like as we shelter in place, as we stay at home, to really think and ponder about who we are in Christ. His focus throughout that letter is a genuine faith in what it looks like. It seems his readers were struggling to live out their faith, to be who Christ wanted them to be. Sounds familiar? <laughs> They're struggling more to be like Jesus. They're struggling with the things of this world. Sound like any of us. They're not reflecting Jesus in a way that reaches out to those that don't know him yet. He begins by sharing his trials. How do we do this? How do we handle these trials like the one we've been in over the last few months? His encouragement to us was, hey, as we go through these trials in life, God gives us a potential to grow through those, to learn through those, to increase our faith through those events. He Gave us then this reality of temptation in our life. And he said, Hey, here's the thing you will be tempted, but it's not God tempting you, it's not the world tempting you. Unfortunately, it's your own evil desires that are tempting you. I know that's bad news for some of us, but I can't blame it on anybody else. It's my fault. But then he gives us the encouragement, says, hey, even though you're going to constantly be tempted, let me tell you, every time you're tempted, God has a way out prepared for you. No matter how big a hole you dig, no matter how deep of grave you've dug, God is more than willing to reach right down, grab you and pull you out of that. There's always a way out. You just have to keep your eyes open and reach for him in those moments. He will always, always be there. James reminds us of the power of the tongue, and how, believe it or not, our tongues were created for good. Yes, they were, but we have definitely taken it a different direction. The incredible evil that comes out of people's mouths destroys others and even our own lives. As believers, we must remember that our specific words have meaning. They can literally change the course of someone's eternity by what we say. We've got to guard our tongue. At all times, we must allow the Spirit of God to guide and direct our words. We must use the mind that God has given us to carefully consider the words that come out of our mouths because our words are a direct reflection of the Jesus who we claim to be representing in our lives. And then he begins to continue on with this, this case for faith and what a genuine faith looks like. He challenges us to live out our faith. Faith cannot, faith should not be a personal thing. Our faith calls us to go and seek and save the lost, to make disciples of all nations. How on earth could we possibly do that if no one could even tell that we're a follower of Jesus? Our faith has to have fruit. Without it, it's a false faith. Without it, it's a futile faith. And finally, it's ultimately a, a, a fatal faith. James is the one that tells us faith without works is dead. It doesn't even exist. This strange time, and that is, that's the best word I can describe these last few months. It's just been weird. (laughs) Like, it's just odd. But it's given us a time to reflect on some things, I hope. How is God calling you into action right now? How is, how genuine is your faith? Is it real? Is it on display? Is it reaching out to others? Is it seeking the face of God daily so that we can grow closer to him our genuine faith on display for the world to see if that is the case then those around us our friends our neighbors our co-workers our families not only will they see the love of Christ but more importantly they will experience the love of Christ through each and every one of us are they doing that or are we just another family member just another co-worker just another neighbor as i said last week this mission is too important our time here on this earth is too short God's love for all of his creation is simply too great for us to simply remain who we are today. We were praying as a praise team before a service. The reality that if you leave this place after diving into the word of God, after praising his name, if you leave this place the same way you came in and nothing impacted you and his word did not touch you at all, then there's something missing. There's something missing between you and God, and we always want something to connect with you, and we believe that the Spirit can do that each and every time we gather. The Spirit will do that every time you meet with Him, whether here, there, in the car, at home, wherever it is you are. He can change you. He can have an impact on you. I believe God will use this time, has used this time, to remind the church of its purpose and its value, those same things. Time's too short, church. Our call from God is too great and His love for this world is too great for us to not be out pursuing it with His love. It's time to love. It's time to reach out. It's time to live out our faith like we have never lived it out before in our entire lives. People in this world, are you looking at the news right now? People in this world are searching for answers. And today's faith challenge from James chapter 4, the first 17 verses Could it speak any more to what's happening if you turn on the news? Listen, verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do we have a fight going on in our nation? Many of us would think it's about an incident in Minnesota. I hate to tell you, it's not. It's not. It's about the internal desires of humanity. That's what you're seeing played out all over this country. It might have been sparked by an incident, but that is the reality of mankind if they are not in love with Jesus. That is where they always will go. Do they not come from the desires that battle within you? The things you're seeing played out are coming from desires at war within people, and they've given permission, if you will, to act on those desires, and you see what happens. This is reality right now. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not know God, When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he, God gives us more grace. That is why Scripture said God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, remember, who is James writing this to? He is writing to fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is how they are treating one another. If this is how they treat one another, how could we possibly expect anything better from those that do not know the love of Jesus yet? Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Boasting about tomorrow, he goes on to kind of end this in a weird way, this little segment. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go do this, we'll go there, we'll spend a year here, we'll do business, we'll make money, you know, the American way. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are but a mist a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Why, oh why, is humanity so discontent? That's what you're seeing right now. Why do we fight and argue well james just shared with us that source it's the same source as temptation our evil desires within us are what spark this fuel these fires this same desire comes from within us we don't have so we covet what other people have and some do kill and some do fight and they destroy property and they steal and do all of these things why because they don't have and that's the way they feel that they can get it This passage could be speaking of a literal battle, a literal war. It could be, or it also could be speaking of the battles that happen with inside each and every one of us. Our current world situation, man, it makes James's opening question as relevant today as it was the moment that he penned it. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Have you heard on the news anywhere? I don't care if you're watching sports media. I don't care if you're watching news media. I don't care what media you're watching have you heard anyone answer this question what causes fights and quarrels among you with ah, the fact that people don't have the peace of jesus in their hearts have you heard anyone answer that question that way no nor will you but that's why they're all wrong every single one of them that is the only thing that could ever hope to fix any of this some of us are at war with others for a variety of reasons some of us are at war with ourselves Some of us war with the spirit inside of us. We battle daily with that spirit or even with God himself. What causes these fights and quarrels? It's our inner desires. James reveals the symptoms, the sources, and the solutions of this battle going on. There's a big difference between a symptom and a source. The believers to whom James is writing were engaged in a personal war of words. They were fighting with one another. He doesn't tell us specifically what they're fighting about. But those words were just a symptom of the reality of what's going on inside of them. They weren't the cause of the fight. The brothers do not slander. Those are the words that were coming out. James reveals that the problem is within. So he wisely asks a second question. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? What would happen today in society if you said, hey, why is all this going on? And you were to throw a question back at him. Well, doesn't it really come from these, these desires within you to act in this way? We would all be complete outcasts from the entire world if we even suggested such a thing, right? Because it's no one's personal fault, right? It's always someone, that's what James is talking about, that's the reality. There's things that provoke us, but it's still us that make the decision to act. All wars find their origin in selfish desire. It's this selfish desire within us that causes us to war with other people. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity? You're against God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be friends with the world becomes an enemy of God. Yeah, that's the reality, the source of war. It's not found in our relationship with others. It's not found in our relationship with ourselves. The source of the wars that go on inside of us is our conflict with God, our rebellious relationship that we have with God and not wanting to conform to his will for our lives. James calls this conflict between God and man a battle within. James asks a very pointed question in verse four. He says, don't you know? I don't think he was just being a passionate guy and saying, guys, come on, don't you know? I don't think that was it. I think he was frustrated. I think he was upset. He's, he's saying, you are believers in Christ. Don't you know? This is what's happening to you. Don't let it happen. Don't let this rip you apart. Don't let this rip the church apart. Don't let this rip you away from God. I think he's shouting, he's pounding on the pulpit, if you will, as he's pinning these words. He probably ripped the parchment, had to start over. He couldn't believe that the people of Jesus were acting like this. He couldn't understand why they would do this to each other. He goes on to remind us and them, that God gives us strength to resist this temptation and he gives us grace. And how much grace? Well, it says more grace. There's no end to that. He gives us more grace. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, guys, and these battles will go away. Resist the devil. He'll run away. Come near to God. He comes right in with you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart. you double-minded grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom, and humble yourselves before the Lord, and He alone will lift you up. James gives us the solution to this entire problem right here in this passage. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it's a global conflict, a national conflict, a community conflict, a personal family conflict, a church conflict, doesn't matter. There's only one true and eternal solution to war, and that is the peace of Jesus Christ. There'll never be peace without the Prince of Peace being the focus of that peace. It sounds simplistic, I agree, but it's true. History and media will continually promote and fuel the fires of conflict. But one day Christ will come, and he will usher in peace. And as it's revealed to us, that sword is going to be turned into a plow. And that lion gets to chill with the lamb. And that's reality, and he's the only one that can do that. He concludes this discussion with a series of verbs, five in fact. These are all necessary. These are five steps toward peace. It's a five-step program, if you will. James Pathway, first submit, then you resist, come near, wash yourselves, and be humble. Submit fully to God. Resist the devil completely. And when you do that, he runs away. He doesn't want to waste time on you. Don't give him a foothold. Come near to God because he will always come near to you. And then wash your hands. Ask for forgiveness. Purify your hearts with the word of God, with prayer. Cleanse yourself before God and humble yourself before him. And begin to serve those around you in need. And then he will lift you up as his children. Because we must remember there's only the one lawgiver. There's only the one judge. He who is able to save and destroy. Who are we to be the judge of anyone else? We're not called to judge, but to love those that do not know the love of Jesus, yet to humble ourselves and show his mercy in hopes that that love will draw them to Jesus and to his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. It's a crazy formula for genuine faith in this life. I don't know if you know this, but since the time the church was created, war and peace have existed, war primarily. It's not any bigger issue today in the 21st century than it would have been in the 3rd century or the 5th century or the 10th century. We must remember, though, because as we get farther from Jesus' resurrection and closer to His second coming, that many people begin to think that God has left the throne. God doesn't care anymore. It doesn't matter to Him. (laughs) Not the case. God is at work in this history, in this moment, as much as he's ever been. The biblical prophecy that exists out there underscores his presence in every modern day event that exists. Our God is the God of history. And in the midst of this current chaos in which we live, he calls us to be peacemakers. We are to be his representatives in this world. We know the solution to war. We have the message of hope and the message of peace. We just have to share that story. So what if we don't? Good question. What if we don't submit ourselves to God? What if we do not live in His ways? Well, James actually addresses those people. Remember, he's writing to believers here, not non-believers. This next paragraph is written to people who claim the name of Christ, but we're living as if Jesus doesn't even bother to exist. Listen, hey, you guys, today, tomorrow, whatever, we're just going to go do stuff. We're going to spend time. We're going to keep operating our business. We're going to make a bunch of money, do whatever we want. Yeah, they weren't even considering God. And James is reminding them, hey, you don't have a clue. You don't even know that tomorrow will exist. Just a quick reminder. What is your life, folks? It's a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. So instead, you should probably consider the Lord in your planning. Hey, if it's God's will, then I would like to do this. Hey, if it's God's will, then I would like to go here. Hey, if it's God's will, I would like to buy this, but as it is, you boast in your arrogant scheme. such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Does that not describe man today? Does that not describe a successful American? James 4.13, hey, live as if tomorrow will always be there. Just live as if it's always going to happen no matter what. Be obsessed with making money. Materialism, it's wonderful. The world's wealth is your only concern. This entire life is motivated by money, greed, possessions. You get it. It's the picture of a successful American to this very day, is it not? But there's nothing indicated that this guy was doing anything wrong. doesn't say he was unethical or immoral or anything like that. He might have been a very just self-confident, goal-oriented, good businessman, profit, motivated. But he lives his life as a practical atheist. He lives his life as if God doesn't exist, doesn't play a role in any of these things that are happening, and so there's no consideration of God in his planning. He is the epitome. If I can do it on my own, I don't need God's help. That's what Western society has led us to. He believes upon the today or tomorrow. that's where he puts his hope and faith in, is tomorrow, because it'll always be there. He believes upon the where I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. He believes upon the what? I'm going to carry on business. It's my thing, this is what I do. And he believes upon the reason for why he's doing it, to make money, to accumulate stuff. And that is a severe form of arrogance in the eyes of our creator. And unfortunately, it's crossed over into our faith lives as well. Many people believed I can learn more about God when I want to. I can grow closer to God later on. I'll do that when I'm older, when I got more time, when I don't have kids at home. I'll serve later. I'll give later. Whatever the reason is, it's the exact same thing. And these are just as foolish. James reminds us that our time here on this earth is uncertain. What is your life? When we forget that proper perspective on life and death, and consequently life after death, many of us, we live from year to year. We should not. We should live from day to day at best, maybe moment to moment, because our next breath, remember, is not promised to any of us. It has. It's uncertainties. Our life is a vapor. How many of you have experienced that already in your life? You've just come to this realization that, man, this thing is, whoo, it's flying. It's going quick. If you've ever had any health issues at all, then you, I guarantee you've experienced it. If you're a little older in age, then you're beginning to reflect on it, aren't you? Man, it's gone fast. As your kids grow up, you realize, wow, this is truth, absolute gospel truth, is it not? It vanishes before our very eyes and before we know it, It's gone. What then? What then? Finally, to end with, James 4.15 calls us to put our priorities in order. Some of us have forsaken the priorities of God's will and God's way in our lives. God wants us to know His will, and He wants us to walk in His ways. And so, He reminds us of that. He ought to say, hey, if it's the Lord's will, do we say that? Do we think that in our lives as we plot as we plan. And then he ends with that last verse. And this verse is a toughie. Anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Those of us who know what we ought to do and willfully, we choose not to do it. We refuse to do the thing God has put before us. We have forsaken our priorities with God. And I believe this verse might be one of the ways that the Holy Spirit can most directly communicate with each and every one of us. Call it whatever you will, but if you take this verse and you memorize this verse with me, and this is your driving factor, this is your motivation. When opportunities arise and you think, is this the good I'm supposed to do? And you act, <laughs> amazing things will happen. It's a very simple verse. Anyone, then, who knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, sins. Now, the practical implications of this verse, here's the reality. A lot of us, we, we all will admit we're sinners. Every one of us in this room, hopefully, will agree that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God daily, right? But a lot of our sins, we view as kind of the sins of omission. You know, we're, remember, we'll always make the list. Well, I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't commit adultery today. I didn't steal anything from anybody today. And so, like, I'm, I'm good, you know, I'm not bad. Well, this verse reminds us that, no, actually, we are bad. We actually are bad because, oh, I did see that person that I could have helped. Oh, I could have invited that person to church. Oh, I could have helped that person. Oh, I could have served in that area. Oh, I could have given in that way. Couldn't I have? And I didn't do any of that. I willfully, intentionally sinned, purposely sinned when God gave me that opportunity. It's an incredible thing to think about and can be pretty upsetting if you really, really think about it. Willfully, intentionally sinning. Against God is what this verse reminds us that we're doing every day. How does it really affect us? Well, if it affects you like it does me, then here in just a moment, when I pray and the Spirit of God moves in you, then probably every one of us should be on our knees repenting to God, begging for forgiveness, asking for another chance to reach out in those ways. God, please provide more good for me to do, more opportunities for me to do good and act on it and not miss the boat this time, God. This is that strange time in the service and I remember as a kid growing up, I grew up in an independent Christian church just like this. I remember every Sunday there was an invitation time and I remember it was an older church and I remember every Sunday virtually no one ever did anything during invitation time. It was just like, why do we do this every week? It's kind of weird because nothing ever happens. I don't believe that's to be the case. I believe every single time we gather in the name of God, and the word is preached, and the songs are sung, and prayer is prayed, and people open their hearts and minds to the Spirit of God moving within them, I believe the Spirit will have an opportunity to move. And now the goal is to create an environment where people are comfortable moving. And I don't mean like, oh, this feels great. I mean like they feel that and they move because they know what to do, and they know that's the Spirit moving in them. And that is the desire of us in this place is to create an environment for that spirit to move in you. And so if you, like me, here in a moment, feel like, man, I know the good I'm supposed to be doing in my life right now, that good might be a person that you know you're supposed to be helping and reaching out to. That good might be a study. That good might be your personal prayer life. That good might be a family relationship you need to restore. That good could be an endless list of things, but I'm telling you what, God can present that good in your heart right now. And if you're like me and you've missed the boat and you didn't do that good and you said, I'll do it later or I don't want to do it or whatever else, then we should probably be on our knees and asking for forgiveness, should we not? And ask for God to provide that opportunity once again. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come before you this morning, it's not a lot of space, it's not a lot of room. We don't want to make folks uncomfortable physically. That's not the deal, but sometimes a little physical Difficulty is what it takes for us to realize we need to humble ourselves before you. Fathers, we're challenged by the words of James, whether it is our tongues that get us in trouble, whether it has been temptation in our life, whether it's the trials of life, and we feel like we're failing because we're not relying on you. His book is so useful, it's so practical. But, Father, we've got to apply it. We've got to live it out, and today's word is no different. These quarrels and fights among us, we all have them in our lives we see them all around us, and we know now that the only source of peace is Your Son. And Father, as these wars rage around us, You're still going to present us with these opportunities to do good, these opportunities to meet with people, to love people, to serve, to give, whatever it may be. Father, I pray that Your Spirit moves us to our knees as we repent for those missed opportunities that we now know we're sinful. And we beg you, God, to open that door once again, to put that reality in front of us one more time so that we won't miss it. And Father, we always want to open that door to anyone, anyone, Father, that heard the news of Jesus Christ today and they came to this realization that all of these things going on in the world right now are because of sin in people's lives. And the only cure for that sin is Jesus. And maybe they have never accepted that cure in their own life yet. And maybe today is the day that the Spirit moves in them and says, hey, this Jesus, man, you need to get to know this Jesus. He loves you. He loves you so much he died for you. There's nothing that could make a gathering like this more special than someone willingly coming forward and confessing the name of Christ for the first time. Father, we love you. And may we all be drawn to repentance for we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we've all missed those opportunities to do good.